Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. I'm delighted to introduce our new four-part mini-series speaking about life at the Magic Circle in a positive light. To do this, I'm pleased to be joined by former trainee, associate, senior associate, and now partner of Alan and Overy in London, Paul Sampson. We will learn about Paul's journey from starting out as a trainee through to reaching partnership for a funds and asset management practice at one of the world's most prestigious law firms. So a very big welcome, Paul. Thanks, Rob. That's uh, quite an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we we kick off the the mini-series, we do have a quick uh, customary icebreaker question on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality series Suits in terms of its reality? Uh, I'd say minus 1, if I could. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I, I discourage anyone in the legal profession from watching it because it will not give you a realistic expectation of, of what the career you might have. Now, clearly, this is about positivity. So I'm hopefully the listeners will feel that by the end of the podcast. But for my friends who watch it and ask me, does it reflect reality? I always say not in any way. And I think that's the God's honest truth. So uh, with with that in mind, we will move on. So for the first part of this mini series, we're going to be talking about your trainee days. But just before we do that, it'll be good just for our listeners to know a little bit about you um, prior to trainee. So tell us a bit about your your family background and, and upbringing. Pretty pretty standard. I'm a, I'm afraid pretty boring. <laughs> Grew up in 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 uh, northwest London. Um, and I've pretty much lived here all, all my life. So unlike many of my contemporaries who have lived in various exotic places, I've, I'm basically London uh, born and bred other than when I was in uh, Birmingham at university and went to, uh, w- went to study English because I, I wasn't 100% convinced on, on law at that point um, and thought English would be just a bit more interesting and conveniently far fewer hours uh, of lectures. And then after sort of Birmingham came back to, to London to do the GDL and then the LPC, um, and then uh, straight to A&O where I've been for God, oh, 12 years now or so. Great stuff. And let's, let, let's rewind the clock a little bit then. So we're, we're talking about sort of trainee. So yeah. jumping into applying for training contracts, how did you go about doing that? And how did you find that experience at the time? It's quite opaque, I think, to people, particularly non-law graduates uh, or, or undergrads, and it can be quite confusing at times. I remember attending a, it was actually the A&O, uh, a sort of Birmingham presentation, and, you know, in a sort of rather gobshite way, I went up to the recruitment partner thinking I could impress her, did that classic thing where you ask a question and then give the answer as well to show them how clever you are. And I managed to get both questions wrong, <laughs> both, both answers wrong. <laughs> so she, was, she wasn't impressed. Um, but I mean, joking aside, you know, you do really have to kind of, you need to really speak to people in the industry if you can, or, or at least the law grads. I was lucky because my best mate was head of the law society. So he, he plugged me into the various events. But I, I, I do recall that for people who weren't studying law, it was actually pretty difficult to understand the timings, when you apply for VAC schemes, when you apply for training contracts. And 
you know, I was quite surprised actually when I got to law school. I, I remember in the first lecture, we were, we were asked to raise our hands if we had a training contract. And I sort of, sort of naively thought, okay, well, everyone's obviously going to raise their hands because it's, you know, really expensive to be here. And I would say about a quarter of our sort of intake raised their hands. And I was just amazed. And, and it sort of made me realise that actually it can be, can be pretty tricky for people to understand how to go about things. And, and yeah, it was, I was sort of sympathetic to that. Yeah, and I think there's some really good sort of messages in there. I think point one, we, we have a lot of societies and people involved with societies and we talk a lot around networking and being proactive and getting yourself out there. And it sounds like, you know, that was some of the things that you really benefited from from, from your time. So thanks for sharing that. I yeah, guess if you were I, to... would, I would also say, Rob, though, you know, that doesn't necessarily come naturally to everyone, right? And when you talk about, you know, diversity inclusion and trying to open up the profession to uh, people from sort of what I call non-traditional backgrounds, you know, that makes it that that makes it even harder for those people. So that's what at ANO we're really focused on is, you know, how do we access that talent um, from from non-traditional backgrounds rather than just your sort of standard, you know, universities and law, law, law and uh, English and history undergrads. Yeah, really well said, and I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I, I guess if you were to sort of say your top tip that helped you secure A&O, thinking back, is there anything you think you did or showed during your, your sort of application process that really, do you know what, that's what got me the job? Look, it, it's ultra competitive. And, you know, um, as, as, all the fir- as all the top firms are, unfortunately for everyone, you know, there is a I don't know exactly how it works, but I've done a lot of interviews since. Um, and clearly there's a sorting system that is based purely on statistics. So, you know, it, it can be quite tough if you don't have the grades to kind of get through that initial sorting system. But if you if you sort of get through that bit, one of the issues is that you see people applying en masse for, you know, every firm in the top 100 and of course, what happens is they get to the interview and they can't clearly articulate why they want to join A&O or A another firm. And to the interviewer, you know, that can be an issue because really what you're looking for is not some legal superstar. You're looking for someone with character. You know, they've got the grades. That's why they're in the room. So you're assuming intelligence, perhaps, perhaps wrongly in my case, but um, <laughs> people assume intelligence if you've got a certain CV. Then it's about, you know, how do you, how do you hit it off with someone in the room? It's like meeting anyone for the first time. You know, you kind of, we all build up a sort of instant impression of someone. And, you know, it's the job of the interviewer to not put his or her own sort of unconscious bias to creep in and just to be in, you know, open-minded about the person in front of you. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you're not still hoping for some chemistry, right? But absolute first question, number one, why do you want to be a lawyer and why do you want to work at A&O or, or a another firm? And if people don't have a damn good answer for that, then immediately as the interviewer, you're sort of, you're sort of turned off. And I, and I think I did have an answer for that. And also I'd done vacation schemes at, at sort of various firms of various sizes. And so I was able to kind of explain why actually I thought A&O was the right place for me rather than just giving a sort of very generic answer about, you know, I like to do international work or, or, or something like that. Yeah, I've probably rambled on, but that, that's, that would be my tip. 
No, and really great tips. And, you know, just shows you've really got to do your your DD, your research and set yourself apart um, before going yeah. into the, the interview room. It's a two-way process as well, Rob, isn't it? So I think a lot of people approach the interview as I'm being interviewed and, you know, and I need to kind of show this person why I'm worthy. But actually, if you approach it with a different mindset of I've got this thing to sell, which is my sort of CV and my abilities, then suddenly it becomes a two-way process. And actually, you, you really get into, actually, do I want to work in this place? And is it right for me? And, and that kind of shift of, of the balance of power means that you can actually be more honest and come across as more, you know, as more genuine. Yeah, no, completely agree. And thanks for sharing that. So just a couple of final questions, sort of referring back on to sort of trainee days. Could you sort of give us a day in the life of what it was like and what you'd get up to as a trainee at a and what I get up to? Oh, God, Rob, don't want to share that on here. Um, <laughs> nothing, nothing exciting, I can show you. Well, I, I suppose the first thing to say is it making me sound old. You know, I, I joined the firm in 2008, and a year later, it was, or, or probably a few months later, it was the financial crisis. So it was, a, it was a really interesting and, you know, slightly chaotic time to be entering the profession. And of course, some 10, 12 years on, um actually the trainee experience is is very different now i would say but we can maybe we can come back to that but i think a lot of people have a perception of what it's like to be a magic circle trainee with all the stereotypical assumptions that you're going to be working there until sort of three in the morning and you know you're going to be photocopying all night long and and actually I have to be honest that that wasn't my experience you know I did have I did have some late nights I I spent my first six months in leverage finance which really was a wake-up call uh, (laughs) in terms of you know the expectations and how hard people work because they they do work really hard but on the whole I found that and and I find the same thing now for the you know the best trainees really are those who who put themselves above the parapet and come out of their comfort zone because what you find in 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 ANO and places like it is there you know everyone is everyone is just really keen and really bright and capable so if you sort of stick to things that you're comfortable with then actually it's quite hard to impress so for me even then I was trying to I was trying to sort of go above and beyond as to what the standard trainee tasks were of course there are standard trainee tasks that people do in every you know in every firm in the city but if you want my advice, then it would be try and really put your hand up for things that maybe trainees aren't expected to do, right? And also look at what the associates are doing, because it's true that as a trainee, you're not going to always be doing the most exciting jobs, but that can sometimes give you a not quite an accurate uh, experience of what it would be like to be an associate. So I always tell people, look at what someone's doing sort of two, three years qualified and if you can imagine yourself being that person, then it's a good department for you. If you if you look at that person, you think, God, I can think of anything worse, then you're probably in the wrong department. Yeah, no, great advice. And thanks so much for, for sharing that. I think definitely that proactive putting your hand out, trying to sort of stand out from the rest makes a lot of sense. And just as we look to wrap up this first sort of mini-sode, Paul, what, what was it the seat structure like or what do the seat structures look like at a and what would you say makes it so special in terms of having a training contract with the firm? Broadly speaking, it's always been pretty similar in that you effectively do four seats over six months. 
the last one of which is often a uh, international secondment, not at the moment, of course, um, unfortunately, or, or a client secondment, which is what I did. And, and we can come on to why, why I did that. And, you know, you're expected to do a certain amount of time in, in one of or two of the firm's core sort of practice areas of corporate banking and international capital markets. And then, and then within that, there's quite a lot of flexibility. So what makes it so special is that, and this is what I tell trainees when, when they get frustrated by doing yet another seat, because of course it is quite tiring to go again every six months and sort of be on best behavior and get to know a whole new team. Because really as a trainee, you haven't got a clue what you're doing till about three months in. Then you, for a couple of months, you're sort of useful to people and you feel useful yourself. And then, of course, you're kind of ushered out to the next seat. So that that is quite challenging. But what I always say to people is how many jobs are there out there where you can experiment for two years in different departments? Not many. You know, if you join a bank, you basically have to say on day one, you know, do you want to be in sales or do you want to be on the trading floor? Right. If you join an accountancy firm, it's do you want to be a tax person? Do you want to be an audit? Do you want to be in corporate finance? It's very rare that you get to experience different areas and so I had quite clear in mind what I wanted to do but I but I was fortunate enough to experience you know all different teams cultures and, and clients I enjoyed it for that reason yeah and that definitely makes it sound very very special so Paul it's been great sort of getting to know the first part of your your journey with with AO. so thanks so much for for chatting to us this week and we look forward to welcoming you back next week when we're going to be talking all about your associate days but for now over and out thank you for listening to this episode of the legally speaking podcast if you enjoyed the show and want to help support us remember to leave us a rating and review on apple itunes you can also support the show and gain exclusive benefits bonus content and much more by signing up to our patreon page which is www.patreon.com forward slash legally speaking podcast Thanks for listening.